Merrily, of course, and I'm back with part seven titled Running Avatar Bodies and Advanced Suit Tech that Enables Amazing Abilities. My guest once again is Captain Randy Kramer, Super Soldier for the U.S. Marine Corps Special Sections, who has had a dozen experiences running an avatar, many of which were biological drones of different extraterrestrial species. For example, picture having claws, a tail, infrared and ultraviolet vision, etc. Kind of like what you saw in the Avatar movie. So I welcome you back, Randy. So let's start off with you defining what avatars, drones, or clones are and how you operate your biological drone. Okay. So sure. go ahead with so that. We ascend- yeah, we essentially refer to any such uh, pilotable drone as a pilotable drone. Um, but, you know, because of the movie, sure, people like to call it avatar technology. That's fine. It's whatever. Um, civilians can use whatever terms they want, as far as I'm concerned. But we call them pilotable drones. And they can be uh, mechanical or biological. And essentially, the brain if it's biological, uh, would be replaced with a mechanical unit that sends and receives all of the information remotely to and from your brain in whatever, um, you know, sort of stasis unit that you're in, which could be lying, sitting, or standing, and operating the pilotable drone, which would, from a first-person experience, you experience all of the sensory experiences of the pilotable drone as if it were you. So it's a, it's a pretty, um, I mean, for, for sort of being an experience where you're not really there, but you're there, um, it, it's just like you're there because you're, you're receiving all of the information from the senses of either the mechanical or biological drone, and it's going into your brain as if it were actual sensory information that you were picking up from standing somewhere and hearing things and seeing things and smelling things. That is so cool. So, in other words, if your drone got hurt or an arm caught, if you would actually feel it back where you are um, in your chair? You know, I, I mean, yes, yeah, you would, but not as much as you would as if it was your real arm because they have the ability to turn down the pain sensors so you don't actually feel like your arm's actually cut off, but you feel it. It's not like you don't feel anything, but it's more like getting, you know, um, slapped with a ruler and not having your arm really chopped off. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I can see why yeah. you'd want to use avatars in a lot of situations. <laughs> um, so. Well, there's there's some situations where they're just uh, a lot safer because of the uh, gaseous environment, gravity environments, or in some cases uh, it's considered high risk enough that it's worth uh, using a drone because drones aren't cheap either, you know, so um, you're definitely taking chances going either way, but there are certain circumstances when there's certainly, you know, a feasible good idea. How much, do you have any idea how much drones are or to repair or anything like that? Um, I, I don't know what the current going rate for like a, a a mechanical drone body is, and I'm not sure based on what different biological basis, you know, if you're Terran species or another species for a biological drone, you know, what the actual cost of that are. I honestly don't know. That would, that's, that's something okay. I guess I would have to ask someone if I needed the information, but yeah, I have no idea what the actual like cost on a spreadsheet right now for that shit is. Okay. No problem. So um, would you be willing to pick uh, like one of the ET species drones that you had to be in for, you know, in, so to speak, for a mission and describe for us what that species training involved before you were deployed to their planet or whatever? Like what's what's involved in the training? Yeah, so it was a, a species that was a, an amphibioid hybrid. So they they weren't like a pure amphibian. They were kind of an amphibioid mammalian hybrid. Um, they were about nine feet tall. Um, and so breathing uh, like an ammonia chlorine environment uh, with a gravity uh, that's like 2.7. So almost, you know, three gravities, which is significantly more than here. Um, and so they, 
you know, made biological bodies that were of the species that lived there. And then we have a, basically an obstacle course um, on the ship that you can change the gravity and the gravity plating, and you can change the uh, gaseous environment. So basically, we had to spend, uh, I mean, it was probably at least week and a half, two weeks doing obstacle course every day, every day, every day using the drone, the pilotable drone body, because you got to get used to a whole nother biomechanical system. Um, you, you know, your coordination takes a minute. Um, and yeah, you're, you're here, you're literally hearing with the same hearing apparatus that they are, you're seeing with the visual cortex that they are. So yeah, you can end up seeing and hearing things uniquely differently and it can be kind of a I mean I'm not sure what else to call it other than kind of a experience. Well I mean just yeah. kind of a trippy experience, you know. You're you're just seeing things in a very different way. Um and you're hearing things in a very different way, but that's just because you're hearing them the same way the ocular or the Tory sensors hear it. Because you need to be able to hear and see things in a natural environment as in the natural environment you're in. So anyway, but it it takes a while. Uh, a lot oh, of obstacle God. course running in a, in a new biological, like, pilotable drone body before you get kind of coordinated in it. And then you then you were sent off on your mission, and, and I know you can't say details, but what was the purpose of that mission using an amphibian drone? Was it like spy, um, it, target, rescue target? Uh, no, it was, it was high value high value target retrieval. Oh, Okay. Okay. Yeah. So in and out quick, kind of. In and out, in and out uh, quick to pick up someone that we wanted to keep alive. Yeah. yeah. And and not have anyone notice that you weren't one of their kind, more or less. Not until the last minute when it matters. Yep. <laughs> okay. So um, Randy shared with me earlier today some great great news. And I wanted to share with all of you regarding something that occurred about 10 years ago for our human species. And, Randy, would you like to share that so people can give a little bit of a sigh of relief? Um, I think you're referring to the process in which we essentially extricated all of the extraterrestrial uh, overlordy type influence and became a sovereign species as far as the intergalactic community is concerned. Absolutely. Is that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a happened. big deal. That is a big, <laughs> yeah, big deal. <laughs> it, it is, and i got to say, a lot, a lot of people in the community who I hear telling stories about what they think is going on are way behind the times on that one. They're still talking, you know, like we're not in control of our own destiny here on this planet, and that's just not the case. They need to kind of like get with the times and stop fear-mongering about things that don't exist anymore. That's for sure. Well, that's why we have you. So um, Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And you guys, I don't know if you really get the impact of that, but how long do you think it's been, Randy, that Earth has been and humans have been a non-sovereign system? Oh, um, let's see. Probably at least... Maybe the last uh, 100,000 years, 150,000 years, probably. I agree. So, <laughs> you guys, you guys should be standing up doing a victory dance here because this is, like, awesome, 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 awesome. And there's uh, for those of you that are that are, know a little bit more about the different species here, also um, <coughs> only, 100, only 100 draconians are left here, which is also not many. And you guys are seeking them out as we speak, correct? Uh, oh, absolutely. Hunting them down one at a time. There are a bunch of crybabies hiding in their little hidey holes. <laughs> Spoken like a super soldier. Okay, you guys. No. All right. So sit back down from your victory dance. And um, so let's talk about these state-of-the-art super soldier suits and heads-up display helmets. Because um, from my understanding, the reverse-engineered extraterrestrial technology and they constantly recalibrate your health and safety needs and keep you strong and agile. And it was not something just thought up by humans. And uh, pretty much, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, but almost every advanced tech 
we humans have, even though we're excellent back engineers, came first from extraterrestrials. Isn't that right, more or less? Um, yeah, at some point, the basic engineering and the basic technology of the tools that we have today came from some, you know, extraterrestrial origin. Uh, and also fair to say that, yeah, we've gotten very good at adapting that and coming up with our own ideas and improving on that and so forth. So we're, we've come up with some pretty unique ideas, as it turns out, with those tools. Uh, but, yeah, the basic uh, fundamental engineering concepts, yeah, pretty much all of it was uh, at some point brought in from or crashed, retrieved from extraterrestrial technology. Right, Zetas and different groups. Yeah. 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 Even though, even though we're kick-ass engineers, and a lot of people want to trade with us because we improve things, right? Don't we? Kind of. Oh yeah. 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 Well, and 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 you know, every once in a while, you know, we get someone smart enough. Uh, that if we listen to them, you know, and we followed in their footsteps, we could sort of develop that kind of technology on our own, like Leonardo da Vinci or Nikola Tesla. Um, but, you know, uh, for, for everyone to kind of come along, it takes a little bit of a hand usually. And that's, that's not uncommon uh, across the intergalactic system when you're trying to help species sort of get up to speed. Yeah, you got to give them hmm. a little nudge, give them a little hand up. Yeah, of course. So, um, Randy, let's do this. I compiled a list of, like, say, 22 characteristics that these nanofiber suits um, can more or less, you know, they have characteristics and how they can enable certain abilities, amazing abilities for the super soldiers. So would it work for you for me to kind of list one off and then you let me know, is that accurate? And you can tell a story about it or whatever you'd like about it. Does that work for you? Yeah, sure. We can do that. (laughs) Don't tempt me. Okay. Absorb. Okay. So these nano suits folks absorb. Now let me be clear. Um, one of the reasons I'm having this show at this time is Randy was given permission to give the most advanced information up for civilians up to this time involving the suits that these super soldiers wear, as well as some weapon equipment. And the reason why we're doing this is for the possible uh, invasion rollout, which we'll discuss at the very end of this so that you can recognize you will be a a little up to speed, you won't do anything silly or stupid, okay? So that's my intention for uh, sharing this information, and and I'm really happy to have Randy be able to do that. So the first quality that I was uh, noticing is they absorb all the shock in your body. So say if you were to jump 40 feet off a cliff onto the ground, your weight is distributed throughout the whole suit, so your body feels no compression. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, like there's a, a essentially a kind of compression break in the boots so that if you are, like, jumping down a bit of a distance, uh, so a compression break, break extends out of the bottom of your boot so that when you come down, it, there's all this hydraulic sort of uh, impact, you know, sharing. There's a gel that's inside the liner of the suit that, it's if you were to hold it in your hand, like a chunk of it, like a 12 inch by 12 inch chunk of it in your hand, it would feel and have the consistency a lot of whale blubber. So it's it's soft-ish. It's also really you know dense and really solid and uh, not at all easy you know to cut or you know do any kind of damage to whatsoever. But the ability for the uh, shock waves of anything that hits it to be absorbed into that gel, the, the just amount of force absorption that that consistency of that gel has is is ridiculous. So that yeah, you can take direct hits from bullets and be next to explosions and things that you won't even feel because the fo- distribution of the force through that gel is um, uncanny. It's it's pretty uncanny. I kind of wish I knew more about exactly how it was made, um, but it's mm. some pretty incredible stuff. Do you know who we got it from, at all? Uh, you know, I, I again, I can't say that that's something we got from someone or okay. based on biochemical 
technology that we maybe got a really, really long time ago, time ago and our guys have run with. So like I said, there's some basic fundamental technologies that came from somewhere else, but some things, you know, were just science and, and enough, right. you know, we run with enough science long enough for a few decades and we start coming, getting creative with that and coming up with ideas. Right. I agree. And using special alloys and stuff and who knows, right? So it's all yeah, what we're, that... what we're finding and what mixed metals and mixed compounds can do are, are just a, a real incredible array of properties. So you can kind of use a material that has the properties of just about whatever you need it for when you're constructing ships and vehicles and battle suits and all kinds of stuff. So. so cool. So as you said, then I, I assume it's bulletproof and can also absorb every bullet that comes to you. Right. So like what happens pretty much up to, up to, pretty, up to I, what point? Um, so there's some math involved on what hardness of a tip that you would need going at what velocity based on what thickness of armor plating and gel thickness that you have in the suit for it to penetrate. Suffice it to say there are limits um, to those, uh, you know, parameters of the quality of the materials and their, their tolerances, but um, we've gotten better and better and better at that. So. Whatever it is, it would have to be something pretty big, pretty sharp, pretty hard, and pretty fast, and pretty heavy. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, I mean, you, you, right. you could take you could you could take a a, a near point blank shot from a fifty caliber anti material rifle with a stable round, and it would yeah, it would not penetrate the armor and the gel. It would bounce Whoa, right off. So cool. Barely feel it. You barely feel it. Wow. And it's shockproof, yeah. more or less, too, right? Yeah. That's that's kind of the miracle property of it is is whatever force you know shock wave or force wave is moving towards you, whether it becomes a physical contact of you know a bullet or a piece of shrapnel or something, or whether it's just the force of the wave of a shock wave moving from an explosion. Yeah, that gel has the ability to distribute that force uh, throughout the gel in the suit in such a way that. Um, it takes a lot of force for you to feel it. It absorbs so much of, of the force, again, up to a certain number of newtons, but it's, it's a lot. I, I've stood it's next ten- to, like, I've stood within, you know, less than 10 feet from, um, you know, what I would call the equivalent of an artillery shell explosion and, you know, barely, barely noticed it. Woo! Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Now, it's also electromagnetic proof to an extent. Is that correct? Well, some of them do have a design that sends an electromagnetic uh, pulse field through the armor itself, which then has the ability to deflect uh, some uh, plasma balls. So basically a plasma rifle takes a little uh, ball of plasma that it surrounds an electromagnetic field that's this little sphere injects this plasma superheats it gets and then shoots it out wicked fast on a on like an electromagnetic rail gun and so that plasma ball has to stay in that magnetic field which has a certain lifespan of a certain fraction of a second and when it hits when that field comes into contact with the field on the suit, there is a really good chance uh, that it's going to bounce off, that the fields will essentially be act as if they're polarized and it will bounce away. Mm-hmm. Not and 100%, many, but they're pretty good. How how many of the quote, um, I don't like using this term, but the enemies or the opposite ETs that are not pro-us also have the same ability as that? On the, um, their equipment, it you know, it depends on a lot of things. Just because some species have a technology doesn't mean that they've applied it very well. That's not. It's an interesting situation where not every species huh. applies every technology because uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And if someone hasn't come along in such a way that it's been a requirement for them to implement that technology then they don't necessarily do it. They may have it. They don't necessarily implement it. We're a little on the, mm, 
I don't necessarily want to say paranoid, but a little on the paranoid side so that we're always thinking of, you know, well, what if this happens and what if that happens and what if this happens and what if that happens, which is, you know, just smart tactical thinking. So we plan ahead for a lot of what ifs. There are some species that don't plan for what if. Something would actually have to come up and they'll go, oh, that's a thing now. We need to maybe prepare or adapt for that. So it really depends mm-hmm. on what they, what level they feel like they need to invest in soldiering technology, you know, into security forces versus, you know, actual soldiers and how they want to outfit them or what they minimally want to outfit, you know, non-military personnel with it. That's who you're running into. So it's, there's a lot of variables mm-hmm. there. Um, but I, I would say that we're running into a lot of, a lot more species who really don't have um, the grasp on the tech that we do. Um, and some species who've been around for a long time have a better grasp on it. But keep in mind, you know, we live in a galaxy where there are literally tens of thousands of civilized worlds who have come into the intergalactic community just this last century. Think about that for yeah. a minute. Like evolving wow. species come into the intergalactic community all the time. So there are lots of young we just got here. We're just in the intergalactic community. This is a new thing to us. Like there's a lot of species that, that come into that are at that level. So, you know, as far as, you know, the new kids coming in, we're doing really well. And, and we make multi, most of them, you know, look like they're not getting their shit together at all. But there's some species who've been around longer uh, who have some really good tools. But again, we're learning and adapting quickly against, again, enemies and, and opponents that, have way you know longer times to figure some of this stuff stuff out. We're learning. We're learning very quickly. Every time we come up against something new, you know, we come up with a whole new redesign program to make something that can kick the crap out of it. Humans are incredibly adaptable and incredibly creative and engineering. So that's very really good to yeah, know. Very, yeah, very, very, very. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, more again, as I've said before, more so than a lot of other species. So it's this is where it's kind of paying off for us and. Whether everyone in the world likes it or not, our destiny as is as one of the smartest, cleverest, uh, most dangerous warrior species to ever roam the galaxy. So we well, better do it, it right true, so that we're not assholes it, about it. And that you're not looked at. at well, which, and I imagine that's why they send in super soldiers, because they wanted less people, uh, low visual, you know, not not like overkill, destroy everything, and you get in and out, you're very efficient, and therefore you have a much better reputation among the galactic community than barbaric, oh, correct? Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. There's an old, there's an old saying, you know, uh, sort of about the military, about the difference between a scalpel and a broadsword. And um, this is definitely, you know, when you're at a level where people are really precise about their math and their science and their engineering, they're pretty precise about their tactics too. And so, yeah, if we didn't demonstrate that we were willing to be incredibly efficient with the numbers and the forces that we have, then we would be looked at as just being just barbarian hordes running across, you know, different planetary planes, which is not what we're doing at all. We're the individual soldier and how they're outfitted and trained and equipped and a small group of them can do tremendous amount of damage tremendous amount of damage. I mean, I, when we were doing high value target rescues and terminations, I mean, oh my goodness, we would sometimes just mow through dozens or hundreds of enemy combatants, you know, on the way to, you know, or from just hundreds. And I'm talking about less, you know, a dozen or, or, or 16 guys, you know, well, men and women, mm. really, sorry. I mean, I'm talking about, mm-hmm. you know, about a dozen, you know, soldiers mowing down, you know, hundreds of enemy combatants. That's really efficient. That's really, really yeah. efficient. Yeah. And, and it does, and, and it and does help. You, and it does, it does help. And all that. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. It lessens collateral damage and, and it does uh, enhance our reputation as being a scalpel and not a broadsword. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. Okay. So let's give people an idea of what it's like to put one of those, um, you know, nano helmets on with a heads up display uh, where you have all this visual information, which would be just like incredibly overwhelming to me. So can you can describe that? Plus you have an earbud or whatever it's called, you know, a ear thing, right? Where, where you're hearing 
your command at the same time, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you've definitely got an earpiece in that you're hearing orders and instructions from command officers at all times. And um, But the heads-up display is giving you a lot of information. So any soldier that is a friendly has a ID marker so that they come up um, <clears throat> as a color, depending on the heads-up display, so that you know that they're a friendly. Um, and you're looking at some things that are outside the visible light spectrum, so some infrared, some ultraviolet, some uh, suits have a basically a sonar uh, device, so that's also sending out a, sound, a sonar echo that's retrieving sonar information, echolocation information, that then also is overlaying that over the heads-up display. Um, it has a object identifier, so it can identify enemy combatants, enemy vehicles. Uh, some of them have high-velocity uh, projectile detectors so that you can actually see a bullet coming at you from a very long distance very fast because it, it shows up as sort of a lit-up tracer. Um, so you can see incoming projectiles before you could actually visually see them. Uh, obviously, wow. it doesn't matter what time it is, day or night. You know, you can see just fine. Uh, good suits have also a flash protector, so you're not actually looking with your eyes. You're looking, you know, at a screen and a heads-up display so that if there was a bright flash or a flashbang or anything that would otherwise be blinding, it doesn't actually affect your eyes. <clears throat> yeah, there, 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 there's a ton of information uh, that's being provided all the time. Uh, external temperature and pressure, uh, wind speed, um, yeah, all kinds wow. of stuff is, is being displayed there for sure. And then you're listening at the same time. Now, yeah, now, so, and uh, you're listening to a, a, a right to a, a, a platoon officer that is basically uh, giving you general instructions, you know, like move, you know, target, you know, enemy combatants, you know, at this many degrees to your left or right this far away from you, engage this way, move, you know, to this location, you know, move to this location via this, you know, waypoint. Um, yeah, they're giving you the instructions and you're essentially carrying them out, but they're general instructions, you know, like they go here, do this, shoot that, and then you're doing all the actual work, but the instructions are very general. Okay, so, wow, that's amazing. So is it more or less impossible for if you're wearing one of these super advanced suits for anyone to sneak up on you? Is that possible because you have so much information? Yeah, absolutely impossible. One of the things on the heads-up display is a little dial. It's like a 360 round dial that you see, and it has uh, little flashy points around it that will flash and light up depending on something that's not a friendly uh, approaches you will tell you how far they are and how many of them there are. So yeah, nothing can sneak up on you, even if it's invisible. The sonar and so forth would detect it. So it's impossible to sneak up on you. Wow. It's a, I, I can only imagine how much one of these suits costs. Now I know they used to have to make them to completely, completely to correspond to the individual soldier's bio, you know, signature yep. and its particular needs, are are they still doing that, or are they trying to unisex it a little bit more? Well, the, the, suit, the suit that we're kind of talking about is the highest sort of level of technology. It's called a nano suit. They still have mm -hmm. to be custom fit. They still have to be custom made, custom fit to the soldier's exact specification. They take a mold, uh, actually, off of the soldier that then, you know, they build around that. So there's literally a mold of you inside um, the suit. The older yeah. suits are components uh, that can be sort of general sizes that then can adjust a little bit. So the, the older suits, which are probably the ones that they're going to introduce uh, to the Army Infantry and Marine Infantry and yeah. so forth. This is, well, no, to the we'll, – we'll just call it the regular branches of the military. Um, okay. Will probably be these sort of older, clunkier suits that are – you don't have to actually – them fit every single one. We'll see. I, I, I get told 
some possibilities and likelihoods of how this is all going to sort out. And um, right. if what hap- if what happens is what I'm being told, uh, most of the larger sort of infantry divisions, when they get these battle suits, will get the clunkier older ones, and some of the special forces teams will get some of the newer ones, and so we'll see some of some tiny use of the newer ones, or the fancy ones, and probably a more broad general use of the older style. That makes sense. And then eventually down to the civilians, probably first in the police force for protection and the fire department to avoid burns and things like that, most likely. Well, like, well, like well, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- there's actually an, another grade of suit, um, which is they call the light body armor suit. And it actually is much more flexible, uh, much easier to just sort of like you kind of put it on. It fits a lot and looks like a wetsuit, like a scuba diving suit, but it's made of a, a harder, stiffer material that's actually still pretty flexible. I would say that for – because we used to use those for what we considered to be light duty, meaning situations when we weren't expected to undergo you know, heavy fire or require the return of heavy firepower. So sometimes uh, stealthier missions or something required to move a little lighter – you require less body armor, there's a light body armor suit. <clears throat> I would think that those that technology is what civilians are going to see because those are that's super easy to provide uh, protection that basically, as far as civilian guns, knives, explosives, and so forth, yeah, you're going to be pretty invulnerable to anything that civilians are going to have. Military-grade technology might hurt you or probably could hurt you uh, or will mm-hmm. hurt you. But, um, you know, civilian level sort of sticks and stones and stabby things and guns would be pretty ineffective against that style. So that's probably what uh, law enforcement interventionists and so forth would get, EMTs, firemen. Oh, yeah. Firemen will probably get a special special environment suit because they're going to need a breathing apparatus and everything, but they'll just get a super easy-peasy fireproof environment suit that will enable them to walk into incredibly hot flames and not give a crap. Yeah. Okay. That that's good to know. You know all these projections of ideas, and especially rolling down to the civilians eventually, right? And yeah, at some so point, also, it's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, listeners out there, this is like the nano suit does everything for you. I mean, it's amazing. And I'm going to shoot through this a little bit. Uh, where, and you correct me, Randy, if I'm off base. So, folks, it regulates the individual's fluid, excrement, sweat, oxygen intake, body temperature, blood pressure at all times. It can tighten and absorb uh, and make sure that you don't fall at all uh, or, you know, even on uneven ground. And it can also give you, it contains a, uh, a bunch of um, pharmaceuticals. It can uh, automatically know what you need. It has inbuilt uh, tourniquets. If you lose an arm, it can uh, give you the drugs to, you know, anticoagulates or stop stop bleeding. And one of the most fascinating things um, in all of this is, uh, Randy, you were sharing with me that when you have to really go for it, you know, get your adrenaline and you're facing some really, really dangerous enemy and it's like freaking, you can give yourself an injection of this like kind of performance cocktail. And it, well, it makes you don't you, like, give yourself the injection. Someone else is in control of that button. Never, never the soldier themselves is in control of that button. But someone else, when they decide they need the boost, get pushes the button and everybody gets a boost. Good idea. Because of the yeah. oh, it would be bad if, if, if yeah, it would be bad if individual soldiers were in control of that. That would not be good. Yeah, exactly. So when you say that happens, does that happen? electronically or does your teammate do it or how does that happen? Oh no, that's the platoon that? no the platoon, the platoon officer makes the decision and pushes a button. So Okay. Yeah. But I want you to share with people because this is where it gets into one of our favorite subjects which is the holographic med beds that we've already discussed. Uh so the fallout from these really heavy duty drugs, performance drugs that makes you do your job is what? Um, basically liver failure like liver failure so you get a daily blood test 
And when your liver starts to show that it's going to fail, then you have to go in for a liver reconditioning and they clean out your liver and make it all nice and pink and fresh and new again. And how long does that take on the bed? Um, really like an hour, maybe at the most, usually. Less than, yeah, maybe an hour. Okay, guys, hope you hear that. <laughs> so you basically Not got long. a regenerated liver, then you hang out to make sure you're good, and then you're all fighting again, right? <laughs> yeah, and then it's right, everything is about getting you repaired and back out there so that you're not costing money. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay, share with people in those suits how fast you can run on terrain. Well, it really depends on gravity because gravity depends on how big of a stride you can take and how big of a stride you can take really is what, you know, depends on how fast you can go, but I'd say in like 1G, uh, you know, they can definitely go between 25, 35. Some of them might be able to go almost 40 miles an hour. So, folks, this means that uh, if this event happens, one of the reasons you want to stay indoors is a lot of uh, beings, both off-world and super soldiers, can be running like, you know, (laughs) fast. And you don't want to get in their way, right? <laughs> like oh yeah, yeah. The the suits weigh a quite quite amount, so you know you're adding um, in some cases more than a couple hundred pounds to your whatever weight you are when you're running down the road. So you're that's that's a lot of mass moving very very quickly. If you someone got run over, they'd get like run over by a motorcycle. It would suck. What about your jumping ability? I've heard that. Uh, you can kind of like jump 50 feet, do a backflip, and that the suit calibrates, like kind of like we talked about, uh, where it will land you on your feet like a cat, you know? Is that? Yeah. Is that actually Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the newer suits, actually, when you jump, uh, the suit takes control of the legs so that it you jump exactly right and you land exactly right. So there's for just that instant of time when you go into a jumping position the suit knows exactly how to do it mechanically correct and then does basically does the jump for you and also does the landing for you so you stick the landing think of it like automatic parking software but for jumping Hmm. (laughs) oh my god you guys well you know once you get used to this you must have a blast training in it Kind of, you they're, know. They're fun. The I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. They're fun. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, yeah. so, you know, there, there's so many things, but our audience gets an idea of the amazing uh, health and safety precautions and abilities that a suit can help, especially if it's a state-of-the-art one. Now, you did mention, I also want people to be aware of the two main sidearms, so to speak, weapons that super soldiers will be using and they might see in the streets down the line if this event occurs. And those two major ones are what? Plasma rifles and rail guns. So a rail gun is going to appear and behave the most like a regular you know, combustion-powered rifle. The difference is it's not going to go bang and it's not going to kick. Um, But it fires out a a metal projectile down a barrel, magnetically uh, propelled projectile down a metal barrel, much like a regular rifle does. Again, no kick, no explosion. So there's less heat, less combustion. Um, can shoot them a lot more faster before they, you know, start to overheat. You have to let them cool down. Plasma rifles uh, essentially take a superheated plasma, inject it into a little ball, uh, electromagnetic field, a little sphere, and then it shoots that down an electromagnetic rail like a rail gun and fires out the end of the barrel. And uh, So then you have this little ball of super, super hot plasma that's several thousand degrees. I mean, I think the... Hot. The super, super hot ones now are almost 5,000 degrees. It's ridiculously hot. And um, shoots super, super fast. It's thousands of feet per second. Um, and is essentially burns a hot, hot hole through anything. So either one of those things is also not something you want to get on the other end of. 
Railguns uh, have an incredible range, a way longer range than a chemically propelled projectile. So it's another reason why I don't think they're going to want to use railguns because they're going to be a lot of civilian environments. And to be honest, railgun bullets would just fly incredible distances. Plasma rifles have a shorter range because the uh, electromagnetic ball that's containing the plasma has a, uh, essentially a lifespan that's a very short amount of time, maybe a couple of okay. seconds, uh, and then it dissipates. So you have a, so as far as that ball of plasma can travel in that amount of time before the uh, electromagnetic field dissipates is your range. So it's safer, okay, what, what, to be honest with you, to shoot plasma rifles in a civilian environment than it is railguns, way safer. And the plasma rifles will literally burn a hole in uh, the this species that we're talk, talking about. Right? Oh, yeah, right I mean, through that. Like... It'll, it'll melt a hole right through the exoskeleton. It, keep in yeah. mind, it, it's, it's about 5,000 degrees, but it's also moving at force. It's moving at speed. So you, you get all the physics involved there. Mass equals uh, force equals mass times velocity squared. That's a factor is how that... Uh, hot ball of plasma hits the target, and then the 5,000 degree temperature at which it melts everything in front of it. So it's, it, it melts whatever it touches, but it's being pushed by a tremendous amount of force. So it burrows through, you know, flesh, bone, exoskeleton, whatever, and just it melts and incinerates, you know, on the way through. It's, it's a really devastating weapon. It just rips a burning hot hole through just about everything. Yikes. And the rail guns go how far? Just so people know, I um, thousands of yards. Thousands of yards. Around. Yeah. Okay, people. So listen yeah, to that. Thousands of in yards. Case, in case something goes down, don't think like, "Oh, I'm in the next block, so I'm going to peek around the corner and be curious and check everything out." You know, you don't want to do that, yeah. right? Hunker down. <laughs> hunker down. Uh, I yeah, just have we'll, to we'll talk remember. Yeah, when people were on the pier during Hurricane Sandy in the den of the time. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie had to go on TV and say, get off the damn pier. So at some point, yeah, don't go, like, go and watch and give them a hug. That's like, get out of there. That's not what you want to do. But invariably, there will be some dumb people who will do that. And I just want to encourage people to not be one of those people. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that shortly, like, exactly kind of, you know, what to recommend to people so they can stay relaxed. And, and that after we get through this next section, it's going to be uphill. I just know, I, I mean, there's a lot of good things to look forward to after this. But um, So they tell me. Yeah, there's also um, something like many of the species that we're dealing with that aren't pro us, some have more uh, of their exoskeleton on their front side or their back side. Isn't there something like, I can't remember the name, explosive? Uh, bullets or something that you work, you can explode it in front of them or behind them or something. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's programmable. um, I mean, so there's these little, uh, basically it's a, it's an arm mounted missile launcher that shoots out a little tiny missile. That's, uh, you know, maybe three and a half, four inches long. Uh, and about a half an inch uh, in diameter. So it's pretty small, but you can pack a lot of them, you know, sort of into a, a magazine. And they're completely programmable. So there's a little um, touch screen that you have on your wrist, on the inside of your left wrist. It's, or and if you're left-handed, I guess it would be on the inside of your right wrist. But since I'm right-handed, it's on the inside of my left wrist on my suit. Um, that you can program those missiles where you want them to explode. So they will automatically... You can paint a target, meaning, you know, your targeting system will touch the target. A laser will touch the target. The target will be painted. It will be marked. So it can run around, and it's now, it doesn't matter. The computer's targeting has its, you know, in its sights. It cannot disappear, cannot hide. And then you can tell that missile where you want it to blow up. If you want it to blow up in front of it, on the side of it, or behind it. And it will literally do a little curve right around their head to the backside. And just as it touch, it comes around to the backside, it'll detonate and make sure it blows up the backside of their head instead of the front. So yeah, you have the ability to choose uh, with that programmability exactly where you want it. Uh, and when it blows up, it's shooting off like a bunch of teeny little pieces of shrapnel too. So it's going off like a little tiny fragmentation grenade when it goes off. 
So it it, right. it blows up and it shreds and sends out little sharp jagged pieces of metal and it's oh yeah it's mean mean nasty little tool and um, does a lot of damage. And how Very far does that though. spread? Yeah, um, how far does that spread? Just you consider the blast oh, radius. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you consider the effective blast radius for a kill shot to be within about four feet. Okay. If it's far, it if it's farther little... than that, you'll you'll maim. There's a, more of a chance you'll maim them, and a chance that you won't kill them as as you get farther away from four feet. But your your kill zone is like about a four foot radius. Okay, it sounds similar to uh, uh, what do they call it? Super bullets, also that you can program. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, are, are I'm way gonna, more advanced, are, but yeah. Okay, are you go, do you guys have, well, I guess it's just going to be spontaneous. Do you have clearance to use that during this next episode? You know, like super bullets and things like that, or is it just, you got to Oh, gotta I, I would say, yeah, that's a good question, and that's going to be based on which deployable units they deploy. So regular, you know, Army, regular Marine Corps, regular Navy, regular Air Force will probably not have those tools right away, probably. Um, But Mm -hmm. we'll probably see some other units that will have them first. But then they'll want to get them spread out throughout the system pretty quickly. But um, that's how it has been indicated to me. It's most likely to sort of roll, but we'll see. Those decisions will always come at the last minute. and We'll really see what happens, you know, at the last minute. But. Yeah. So, folks, one of the good news about this is, um, Randy, you can uh, quickly mention that, is there's a cooperative effort with all the different military teams in this next uh, event, correct? Is that correct, Randy? Yeah, yeah. At some point. Because it's worldwide. uh, (laughs) Yeah, at some point we anticipate, uh, probably as with this new ONI DNI report that's coming out, that either right about the same time, or probably the same report, but a, a classified version will be uh, sent out to military commanders so that they can be briefed. So they'll have more information uh, than what the civilian apparatus will have, but they'll, they'll probably most likely get a briefing packet when that happens. So they'll at least have a heads up on what's coming. Okay. All righty. Um, well, I like the cooperation that's coming together. I think that that is awesome. So these um, su- these super bullets, by the way, you can program them for a target's DNA, can't you? Um, there are some that that are programmable that do that, that have a DNA targeting system in them. Yeah, there are some that do. So would that be applicable when you're working with a foreign species, say like a reptilian species or insectoid species, can you actually set the super bullet to go upstairs and around a corner and just hit those species rather than humans? Um, So in theory, what you're describing is possible. Uh, What you're still dealing with then is the blast radius when the little missile explodes. And, you know, if you're talking about a building, uh, what could go through walls, floors, ceiling, et cetera, or not, um, and whether that would endanger anybody else in the building or not is, is based on a lot of variables, but theoretically what you're describing could happen. But there's a lot of variables there, that whether or not uh, the non-reptilians or the humanoids or the Terrans in that situation would be not injured. You can take a good shot at it. I'd give somebody maybe some good odds, you know, of low collateral damage on that one. But, you know, shit happens when you're in close quarters. So. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want you to share with people what you feel is their need to know. And as much as you're comfortable sharing about uh, what most likely could be coming down in the next few months. Yeah, so um, in December of 2019, our intelligence officers outlined the what we're looking at is sort of the five-stage scenario um, that approaches to the invasion scenario, which is stage four of that scenario, uh, which stage one would be the pandemic stage, stage two, the civil disruption phase, stage three, the World War III phase, phase four, 
the AMN invasion phase, phase five is the reconstruction phase. So there's an end to all of that, to be clear. Um, well, we've done one and two, and we've been on the precipice of three for some time. And um, I don't, it's not the kind of thing I want to call early, but I kind of think that we're probably, looks like we started World War III yesterday with uh, Israel and Palestine going to war. So that's going to draw everybody else in. Uh, in a very short time. So I think we just crossed the threshold and we're entering the World War III phase now. Okay. And but so at some, point after, okay. at some point after that, we will enter the stage four, the invasion phase. Really, the best advice I can give people is, number one, don't panic. That's obviously going to be an inclination. Don't panic. Two, um, stay calm and stay out of the way. That's really the smartest thing that anybody can do right now is just not get, you know, involved in any of the hot activities in any hot places and hunker down and uh, be nice to your friends and your family and your neighbors, especially your neighbors, and, uh, you know, work together because we're all going to be in this together and we shouldn't be fighting with each other right now because we're going to be in it together in a minute. And so we should all be cooperating, helping each other out. So don't panic. And just know that it's not going to last forever. So and, it's, it's, um, a little bit of, it's a little bit of an endurance test, and we all get to kind of just endure something for um, a year or two, let's hope, and then it'll all be passed. So we've already gotten our, our, our good experience in, in enduring the pandemic phase and the civil disruption phase, so, so now we can get ready to endure the invasion phase, and we'll be okay. Just don't panic. Be nice to each other. Right. And so the estimation of the shortest time would be there'd be an initial invasion, mostly mm -hmm. uh, ships showing up, uh, mm -hmm. super soldiers and other species popping out, um, mm -hmm. and especially places over major cities like yep. beaches and beaches and things where they can land. But it's really important to know, people, that uh, Randy, when we were discussing earlier, said they're not probably going to be breaking down your homes because you as humans are not their targets. Can you mention that, Randy? Yeah, yeah. There, there's an, I, I would say that there's an incredibly low pro probability of any kind of home invasions because, um, let, let's just be honest, um, for the people who are listening to my voice, if you're a regular uh, Jane or Joe citizen, and you're not involved in military intelligence activities, your house does not tactically matter. So you don't tactically matter, and therefore you're not a tactical target. So I seriously doubt there's going to be home invasions because, quite honestly, none of the people who live in the homes that could be invaded matter tactically or strategically to their goals. Right. So in this be... case, you should feel super good that you don't matter about something because in this case it's saving your life because <laughs> – yeah, so you can just say, yeah, I don't matter, so I don't not get eaten by a bug. Because if you mattered, then you'd be on their list, and that's not. So in this case, it's good to just not matter about it. So tactically, right. you know, civilians just are not on their list. They don't matter. They're not strategically, tactically important in any way, shape, or form. It's really going to be uh, this uh, exotic species, and it's going to be uh, a bunch of super soldiers and military. Who are dealing with each other, and yeah, our job is to first, stay out of the way. Yeah, right? basically, I mean, you know, don't like I said, don't don't be one of the stupid people that wants to stand on the pier in a hurricane. So um, don't don't do it. Uh, stay home. And, yeah, and don't down. answer the doorbell. Don't answer the doorbell. Yeah, don't answer it. Just hunker okay. down. Pretend like you're on vacation. Yep, and people will be notified with updates on TV. Is that correct? Oh, of course. Yeah, everyone will get, I mean, radio, television, there will be plenty of updates, you know, as we move along. So, yep. And when people first, these are all the things in people's heads, so I'm just addressing them. So when oh, yeah, please. people first, first see something coming out of the sky and ships and creatures and all that kind of thing, um, close your curtains, close, you know. Lock the doors, relax, oh, and, and, call, and call all your friends and family and tell them to get inside, too. You know, do that. So go ahead and call right. everybody that you think needs to tell them to get indoors. If you you see it first, you know, start sending up text messages. 
Um, right. And Pat, everybody, everybody, I, I've told Pat, everyone the minute that I know something for sure, I will send out the biggest group text to everybody, you know, on my list and let them know that they need to go, you know, get cases of bug spray. Which also, <laughs> <laughs> bug spray. That was a hint, folks. <laughs> That's a code also, word. I don't actually encourage that. I don't encourage <laughs> it because we're also very allergic to toxic bug sprays, so they can damage us too. I, I don't recommend them. However, flamethrowers are legal in all 50 states and only regulated in two. So if you don't live in California or Maryland, you can own a flamethrower, and it's not even considered a firearm or a weapon. You can just get a flamethrower that shoots napalm 45 feet for about 1000 bucks, and if you want to shoot 114 feet, it's about three grand. Flamethrowers. Wow. Okay, you bad get on, boy. Get you online. Encourage that, though. Oh, I yeah. absolutely want to encourage flamethrowers right now. I'm encouraging flamethrowers. Oh, you do? Okay. Oh, okay. I am. I'm encouraging flamethrowers. Everything's allergic to fire. Everything's allergic to fire. You might want to have a backup flamethrower. Okay. Well, especially if you're in the middle of cities or something. Yeah. Or, I'm just too. saying. Uh, I, and look, look, yeah, I, let me, let me be perfectly clear. Anyone who uses a flamethrower irresponsibly deserves to be arrested and locked up behind bars. But if there's an invasion and you got a flamethrower, you're going to be happy you got a flamethrower. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And to be on your email list, give them your contact. Oh, uh, sure. My website is uh, covertspacecowboy.com, and uh, contact information, links to my email, uh, sign-ups for my psionics class, all that stuff. All the updates are on my website. Okay. And um, so, folks, just a uh, brief summation. We're going to get through this. Um, I think that if your kids are away from your home, you know, Get them home within a couple of hours, spread the word, stay relaxed. Um, I'm not attached to this happening, and I'm hoping it doesn't, but by you being notified ahead of time, you won't go into quite so much amygdala shock, and you'll be able to have some extra water and food, which most of you can afford it, should have anyway, and then just, you know, hunker down, kind of like we've been doing, uh, stay positive. Because the results and the strategies and the multiple strategies that are going to come from this will end up very likely start us on a new projection where we have wanted for a long, long, long time. And so um, even if the invasion, I know that when Randy first told me, I was thinking, oh, is it going to last like three days? And he goes, (laughs) really? He says, if you're going to liberate a planet, 1.5 1.5 to 2.5 years is not that long. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So it's really not. Come on. <laughs> so, so it could look like, you know, an initial invasion, and then it could like different skirmishes, of which you'll be warned about, and you can still be able to go outside and do your shopping at, at appropriate times and things like that. So yeah. you're, you're all, you're all struck, right, Randy? Is that kind yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not, it's, I mean, Attacks will come in waves, and they won't be constant uh, because most militaries can't afford, you know, to sort of uh, wage constant wave attacks um, for very long. So they have to sort of be able to have fallback points and regroup and send another wave in and so forth. So, you know, there's uh, absolutely a process to that in which, you know, people will have their opportunities to get to the store buy toilet paper. The goal is not to have the supply lines. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. The the goal is not to shut down the supply lines. There there will be some interruptions. There will be some places that may be out of things for a minute. But don't panic and think that you know no no stores are ever going to get stuff on the shelves again because that won't happen. It may happen for a minute, but you know, give it a minute and you'll get stuff back. Well, I tell, I tell you guys, most people don't have a clue of what you, your team, and others like you have done uh, for freeing the earth and will continue to do in the future uh, by, you know, keeping this sector of space free from any, um, shall we say, anti-human beings because the majority out there, as was stated earlier in earlier shows, we are in with and get along fine. Correct? Exactly. We want yeah. to trade stuff with most people. So 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, thanks so much, Randy. And I will certainly have you back in the future because your information is invaluable to us here on Earth. And kudos again to you and your team. Thank you for your, I know you're very, very busy, and you will be called upon for some major consults with the, some heavy hitters, and, and I feel very fortunate that we've had the privilege to have you and learn from your expertise. Oh, my so, pleasure. Thank Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Glad I can help. Yep. And, folks, in two weeks we will have John Richards, who's the wife of one of the first-generation soldiers, Captain Mark Richards, who will speak about the very first interstellar treaty conventions that took place way back in 1961 in England and 1971 in Persepolis and the multiple extraterrestrial species and sentient earth, water, and land species that attended. It should be lots of fun, insightful, and mind-opening. So relax. We're going to get through this together. We're going to do this. So thank you for listening, and until then, onward and upward.